Hello and good morning to you, my beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord. Of course, it's your brother, Pastor Chidi Jacob, and here this morning to share with us today's episode of our ongoing Everyday Fellowship with the Word. Today, I want to show you how the scriptures should be interpreted and the reason I'm pointing that is to also use it to confirm the same thing that I've been telling you over and over and over again. That the conclusions we have in the epistles are things that came for something to be a doctrine, for something to be true. That thing has to be in the Old Testament. That thing has, has to be, uh, is, we must see it in the prophets, we must see it in the Psalms. And we must see it uh, play out in the Gospels. Then we must see the explanation of it in the epistles. You know why that's important? It tells you that, you know, what God said from the beginning is what he's still saying today. And uh, that is also why we, we told you that, you know, one of the errors people have made. Of course, two, number one, is that um, no, no singular verse of the Bible should ever constitute a doctrine, should become a body of knowledge. And because God is not up and down, God is structured, God is principled. What he said in the beginning is what he's saying now. That's what he's, he's, he means at the end. Of course, secondly, which is where a lot of, especially our present day believers are struggling with, is the idea of interpreting everything literal. That means seeing everything as physical rather than understanding that these things are messages that we're supposed to understand. And I, I can see that, you know, um, Jesus talked about the Jews worshiping out of experience. Uh, you know, that means what they worship is out of the encounter. And today, you, you also see that around. People worship God out of the encounter. Say, God, help me to get a job. So he's good. Um, you know, but then when you lose the job, you are now doubting whether God is good or not whether he's the one that gave you the job in the first place or not um you know but it, we have to migrate to that place where we know that first god is spirit the physical things we are used to describe to us something that we need to see with the eyes of the spirit if we see it in the eyes of the spirit our spirit welcomes then then it starts to rebuild us from inside that means our spirit is not, not feeding from natural environment, but is being fed by the Holy Ghost with the heavenly meal, heavenly manna. Praise God. Amen and amen. Now, don't forget what we've been sharing, that we and Christ are one. That Son of God means God being made visible. That what humanity is waiting for, let me put it this way, is for God to come out of us. Let me just say it that way. Is for God to come out of us. And what is going to save humanity is God coming out from us. How do we know that? The God that we know, the one that Bible confirmed is God, came in a man. That man's name is Jesus Christ. Son of God does not mean picking of God. Son of God means the way, the manner that God made himself visible right and today that is very important because that is also what gives us our connection back to the father right when we become his son we are back to him as our father 
right? If I call myself son of somebody, that means I have accepted the fatherhood of that person. If I call myself son of God, I have accepted that God is my father. Hmm? God is my father. I am his son. So that's why Jesus said, no one can get to the father except by me, right? Because that's the only way we can we can reconnect back to our true origin, which is that we are sons of God. So if I say I'm son of God, I'm claiming, I'm confessing, I'm believing that God is my father. So I have now come back home. I have returned to the family of God from where I was taken, from where I came for. Praise God. Now, the challenge has been that people look at things physically, right? And don't understand their spiritual implication. So this morning, I'm going to read for you Ezekiel chapter 37, verse number 24. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse number 24. And I will show you where the brother Paul Apostle explained our connection to this prophecy uh, many years later. Now, this is from prophet Ezekiel talking about the, the nation of Israel. Don't forget what I'm telling you. This prophecy to those who heard it and to many who still read it today, they read it as this is the physical Israel. But don't forget what I've been telling you. The problem with Bible interpretation is when people read things only physically, don't understand that that thing is supposed to point us to something else. And so here the prophet says, and this is God speaking through prophet, prophet Ezekiel, and my servant David will be king over them. And they will all have one shepherd, right? And they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and follow them. So to the ordinary eye, God is just talking about King David and the Israelites. But don't forget, they are meant to represent something. That's what I'm pointing to you this morning. And notice how he said it. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel 37. I'm going to read the next verse, 25. And they will live on the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, in which your fathers lived. And they will live on it, they and their sons, and their sons' sons forever. I'm sure there are people who are fighting wars today, try to reclaim this physical portion of land. Because for them, it's a physical thing. Now, he says, their sons and their sons forever. And my servant David will be their leader forever. Now, listen to me carefully. That my servant David will be their leader forever. But don't think about King David. Think about what King David represented. Then you start to see how this might be true. That King David is, is their leader forever. Of course, physically, you know that King David wasn't their leader forever. He led at a time and he died. So if you interpret it physically, the prophecy dies with the man. But if you interpret it from understanding what the prophecy means, it lives forever. Here he says, and my servant David will be their leader forever. 26, and I will make a new covenant of peace with them. Hallelujah. This covenant is a covenant of peace. Hallelujah. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. 
if this is just talking about the Jews, physical Israel, you know that this prophecy could say to have not been fulfilled, right? But listen, it says, I will make with them covenant of peace. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and set my sanctuary in their midst forever. I want you to pay attention to the word forever, forever, forever. But if you interpret this physically, it cannot be because David is not their leader forever. And now we don't see any sanctuary that is in the midst of Israel forever. So this must mean something else. So follow me very carefully. Now, verse number 27, my dwelling place also will be among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 28, and the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel and my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Don't forget forever, 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 forever. And if you have accepted the truth, which I've been telling you, the Bible, most of the things that you see in the Bible are coded prophecies, are messages that should open our eyes to the realm of the spirit. But when we interpret it physically, we miss the point. So when you read this, right, don't forget, this is prophet Ezekiel, hundreds of years before Christ came. Don't forget that. Now, if you read this physically, it ends with them. David couldn't be their king forever. But think, and I'm sure that those of you who are following meticulously, it, you are, in fact, before I start to explain further, you have an idea where this, is, where this is going. Of course, you know that Christ came in the order of David. Christ is called the son of David, who is the king forever. Again, don't forget that Israel was just used like a metaphor to describe, right, what, what kind of covenant God wants to have with believers. Now, I don't want to preempt myself too much. I don't want to explain too much. Let me now show you where Brother Paul the Apostle explained this, right? Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 16. It reads, what friendship does God's temple have with demons? What friendship does God's temple have with demons? Imagine, it took us a while for us to start to tell believers that it's impossible for the Holy Ghost to live in you and demons live in you at the same time. There was a time, I remember vividly, that, that church was about casting out demons from everybody. Everybody must go through deliverance. Because you are a believer saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, but you are still possessed with demons. Now, the Brother Paul here said, let me not go into that, because that's not my message for today. Maybe we'll talk about that another day. Brother, Brother Paul here says, what friendship does God's temple have with demons? For indeed, we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. Listen to this, just as God said. And then he quoted this prophecy of Ezekiel that I just read to you now. Brother Paul quoted that God said, I will make my home in them and walk among them. I will be their God 
and they will be my people, right? Right? That's what Brother Paul said here. But this is Ezekiel 37, 27. Let me read it again. Ezekiel 37, 27 says, My dwelling place also will be among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Brother Paul here, years later, hundreds, I don't know, I don't know how many hundreds of years later, is explaining this prophecy in context of the believer. Now, what was Brother Paul talking about here, right? Let's go. What was Brother Paul talking about here? This is the place where the Corinthian Christians who are now born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, right? We are still visiting temple prostitutes. In the city of Corinth, they had a temple, right? That they worshipped and the temple had about a thousand prostitutes. And the way they worshipped at the temple was to go there and have sex, right? Okay, so these believers, even though they are born again now, filled of the Holy Ghost, right? They were still, some of them, not all of them, some of them were still continuing with the same practice. They would go and go and worship at the same temple. Now, Brother Paul was now writing to them, say, hey, don't you know that now you now, your body now, is the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? Your body now is the temple where God lives. You cannot carry this temple and go and join it with the temple, another temple, temple of demons, temple of idol worship. Now, why is that? Because God lives in you. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. Don't forget, he is now telling them that they now are the temple. Don't forget, they are now the temple of God. That means they are one with God. They cannot carry God's temple and go and join it, right, together with what is going on. He said to them clearly, what friendship does God's temple because now we are the temple where God lives. And how did he confirm that? He connected this to the prophecy where God says, My dwelling place also will be among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. But remember, this prophecy was said as if it is Israel. When you read it in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 37, all what you see is the story of King David, is the story of the Jews. But now, Brother Paul is telling you, no, he's talking about the believer. Because when God says, my dwelling place will be among them, he's talking about the born again man today that God lives inside. And he's telling them, because God lives inside of you, you cannot yoke yourself. You get the point? You cannot yoke. This tells you that this is both spiritual, this is both physical. Remember, they were going to have physical sex, right? They were going to have physical sex. Paul says, no, you can no longer do that. But, but remember, why were they doing that? Why were they doing that? They were doing that because they didn't really understand who they were, right? And how did Brother Paul correct them? He corrected them by telling them, hey, it's like when you see somebody behaving somehow, right? When you see a man behaving somehow, you know you don't tell that man you are not a man. Uh -uh. This behavior has canceled your manhood. You are no longer a man. You are a woman. No. What do you what do you say to the man? You say to the man, behave like a man. Now you should behave like a man. What are you trying to do? You are trying to remind him 
the nature, the identity that should drive his behavior. Oh, have you seen a woman? Have you tried to tell somebody? But you're a married woman. You got to act like a married woman. Now you cannot say, oh well, because he did, she did that. Now that has cancelled her marriage. No, but you can remind her. Why do we do that? We want people. We know that people's identity controls how they act. These believers were young in faith, full of the Holy Ghost. Miracles were woken, were breaking out. Don't forget, the Corinthian church was the church that had the most manifestations of the Spirit. Yet they were going to worship Artemis by having sex with uh, with temple prostitutes. Paul didn't say, oh, no, you are finished. Now he said, no, 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 you cannot do that. But why? Because now you are pure. Now you are holy. Now you are righteous. Now you are perfect, right? If they see their bodies as the temple of God, if they see the perfection they are, it becomes harder for them to continue doing what they were doing. But don't forget the why I'm showing you this. When you read Ezekiel 37, it talks about Israel. But now in the epistles, Brother Paul is saying, Yo, no, it is you, the believer, right? It is you, the believer, that this prophecy is all about. It is beyond Israel now. Israel is like a metaphor. King David is like a metaphor used to tell you. And look at what he says. What kind of covenant does he promise here? He said, I will make a new covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. Beloved brothers and sisters, the covenant that God has with me and you today is not the covenant of judgment, it's not the covenant of war, it's not the covenant of woes, it's not the covenant of troubles. No, it is the covenant of peace and it is an everlasting covenant with us. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It cannot be broken. You know why? Because this covenant is between God and God for us. It is not between us and God. If God made a covenant between himself and man, you know that man always broke it. But now, the covenant you and I are enjoying now is a covenant between God and God. It's a covenant between God and Son, Jesus. Same, same person manifesting in two ways, but this covenant is sealed at that level. All we have to do is that we are beneficiaries of the covenant. I, I don't have the power to keep a covenant with God. You don't have a power to keep a covenant with God. And don't let no man deceive you. Why this covenant lasts forever is because it's between God and God. God himself made the covenant. God himself initiated it. God himself perfected it. That is why it is eternal, just as God is. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Beloved, what am I trying to tell you this morning? I've been trying to tell you that you and I are visibilities of God. We are God's temple where God lives. When you start to believe that and stop waiting for angels to fall from the sky and stop looking for a mountain where you think that God is closer and start to believe that God lives in you, that God lives in you. If God lives in you, He's not far away from you. He feels your pain. He understands what you're going through. But what, we, what, what does this do? When that happens, the presence of God, the consciousness of God 
begins to overwhelm you over and over and over again. God is coming home and home and home to you in your thoughts, in your imaginations, in your consciousness. As opposed to looking for God that is on top of a mountain. Brother Paul says, when you carry your physical body and go and sleep with temple prostitutes, he says it is the temple of God you are carrying to that place. That's to tell you how real this oneness is. I've been telling you that we are God made visible. That where you are, God is there. Only if you can believe it. That God is not far away from you. And this relationship, uncle, this relationship, sister, this relationship, brother, this relationship, pastor, is forever. This covenant is everlasting. God is not changing it. And no one can break it because it is between God and God himself. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Beloved, I have tried this morning to do a little bit of teaching to tell you how the Bible should be interpreted. The, the prophet spoke physically, but he was talking about a spiritual Israel. He was talking about a spiritual David. He was talking about a covenant that will last forever. And what is, what is it? A covenant of peace. Blessed be the name of the Lord who has given us a covenant of shalom. Peace means nothing missing, nothing broken. Wholeness at all times. That every time I wake up, I thank God that I have a covenant of peace with him that is everlasting. No one can break it. Nothing can break it. And as you continue to meditate on this over and over, it starts to rebuild your spirit from within. That's why the Bible says that faith comes from hearing. Not hearing about your village people. Not hearing about your failures or your problems. Not hearing about things that you ought not to hear. But to hear again and again. What G, who Jesus is and all he has done for us. That now he has delivered to us this everlasting covenant of peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. I'm going to stop here and I'll come back to you again tomorrow by the grace of God. Help me to please share as much as you can. I hope this helped to open your eyes and confirm to you many of the things that I have said to you before. And don't forget that the glory is here. That glory is the unveiling of you and I. That literally, what I mean is this, that the kingdom come is that God that is inside of us. The Bible says we are his temple. That means he lives inside of us. That the kingdom come is when that God inside of us comes out and man begins to see him in, the, in our love, in our kindness, in everything that we do, in the power and in the wisdom of heaven that we manifest. Amen and amen. Don't forget this morning, you have been served. Shalom.